Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. How many unread emails do you have right now? About 200, I think. I had 3,900 as of five minutes ago. <laughs> Welcome to Sports Sunday on Super Talk. The reason why I ask is I've, you know, all the prep and everything's done. We're about to start the show, and I have my Gmail up, and I've decided to start going 50 by 50, marking all as red to get rid of the 3,900. Unread emails that I have. You can select all of them at one time. When you select 50 of them, there's a thing at the top that says select all, like, however many. And you should be able to do them all at once. Yeah. Where? (laughs) It should be right above everything. Select all. There it is. All right. Now what do I do? Mark is red. There you go. There's your tech support tip for this Sunday morning. Oh, wait. It only said 50 conversations marked as red. Hmm. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, there is man. a way to do it. I got to do it all. <laughs> I still got to do it. Oh, well. You'll have to give us a count by the end of the show during yeah. breaks, maybe how many you get through. Part of the issue is I subscribe to about a dozen sports newsletters. And mostly it's if, you know, there's a really low con. It's mostly for summer stuff. Uh, or And I need to use them more and rely on them more. But... I mostly don't read them. I've got them there just in case, but I mostly don't read them because everything that I need really is um, followed via my Twitter. So that's mostly where this comes from. Like I, I get every news release from the NFL. That's five or six a day. Probably unnecessary. Yeah, and a lot of it is like the NFL plans to honor this former player whose name you don't recognize on the field in Week 11. Okay, so I don't open it, but I do want to get the NFL's news releases, so I subscribe to their news releases, and I think it's mostly a waste of time. But really glad you guys are with me as I'm clearing emails on this Sunday morning. I'm Michael Borky. He's Stephen Gagliano. we got a ton to actually get to today between Ole Miss losing another series. Uh, That's four in a row now. Another series to LSU. And yes, there was a walk-off yesterday. Walk-offs are objectively a lot of fun and cool. And it could be a galvanizing point. Maybe it could. But there's a real problem there right now. Like I said, four series losses in a row. They're kind of happening in all different ways. I mean, it could be very easy to point to, well, they didn't have Gunnar Hoagland, so of course they're going to lose the series. But Derek Diamond gave you enough on on Thursday, more than enough, in fact. I mean, are you really expecting Hogan to be better than one earned run? I mean, he certainly can be that, but you didn't lose on Thursday because you didn't have Gunnar Hoagland. You, you lost on Thursday because you play bad de- I mean, awful defense right now. Awful. And they're not getting clutch hits. 
So, I mean, an optimist can look at the game yesterday and the walk-off as a you know a great galvanizing point, and the team's going to be better now, but what you should see is four series losses in a row, including having to come back from down eight in the eighth inning to salvage a Sunday game against an LSU team that you should be and probably are much better than. There's a problem there. So we'll talk about that. Mississippi State split with Vanderbilt. And like I said on Friday, this was kind of a free shot weekend for Mississippi State. You go there, you get one, you come home, you feel good about it. Vanderbilt's a good team. It's on the road. Mississippi State's in great shape right now. And they jumped on lighter last night. And not to toot my own horn, this doesn't happen very often, but I nailed it on Friday. I said, I think Mississippi State will not get to Kumar Rocker. I think Rocker's just going to have one of those nights because that's what he is. But I said Mississippi State can beat Lighter, and I think they're going to beat Lighter. And I got lucky, I guess. Blind squirrels and finding nuts and, and whatnot. But yeah, Mississippi State jumped on Lighter last night, and uh, they evened the series. So right now, already, again, free shot today. You went to Nashville and got what you went there for. Get a win. That's all you needed to feel good about the weekend, or at least not feel bad about the weekend. Now you got a free shot today. You can take the series. It's right there in front of you. Uh, really confident Mississippi State team playing really, really well right now. And you talk about it being a free shot. I argued that they they did really need to get that one. After they got swept by Arkansas, I think this was the next measuring stick for going up against the best teams in the SEC. And to do what they did to Lighter last night, I think truly proved that they are right up there with Arkansas, with Vanderbilt, even though they got swept by Arkansas. For sure. And then almost at the spring game yesterday, a rainy spring game probably kept some of the crowd away. I, I saw that Lane Kiffin, he wasn't mad or anything, but referenced like, you know, I wish more people were here. And I kept thinking, Lane, man, it's raining. It's the spring game and it's raining. I mean, Rain keeps people away from your regular games. You think people are going to brave the rain to watch you guys practice for a little while? Like, I'm sorry, man. This isn't Alabama. People aren't insane around here to that level. The crowd looked okay. I mean, again, it's a spring game and it's raining. I don't know what you expected. If the weather was better, yeah, be disappointed with, you know, six, 7,000 people at your spring game. But, I mean, the opening cut scene on the broadcast was people huddled underneath uh, a poncho. You're not going to get people to show up to spring games where the weather's like that, man. But uh, there were some things to take away. I mean, aside from the fact that Matt Corral is a high-level quarterback, there was more uh, to take away from that, just like last Sunday. We'll do that again here as well. Also, the NFL draft is on Thursday night, or at least the first round, and then you've got Friday and Saturday as well. We're getting to the point now where it's kind of been talked out, at least nationally. Now, around here, we haven't done a whole lot of it because baseball dominates the conversation around here. But it's kind of time. I mean, if a team is still deciding on who they want with their first-round pick, that's a problem. San Francisco knows who they're getting. They knew who they were getting when the trade happened. But if you turn on ESPN or listen to a national podcast, it's, well, you know, I've I've heard momentum is shifting away from Mac Jones and to Trey Lance. No, it's not. No, it's not. 
when the 49ers decided to trade up to three, they did it for the reason of drafting whoever they pick. There's no momentum shifting right now. They made that decision when they made the trade. Whoever they pick, number three, is who they were going to pick the day they made that trade. There's no momentum shifting. There's no, well, you know, I've heard this lately. There's there's more talk about Trey Lance now. No, there's not. It is all, uh, I say all, 95% of NFL draft like insider information is intentionally misleading. Because, uh, speaking of quarterbacks, if Justin Fields really had work ethic issues, if, if that was real, it wouldn't be something that Dan Orlovsky breaks on ESPN. It wouldn't be that. That got put out there for one reason or another. Maybe somebody wants him to fall a couple spots. Maybe it's just people desperate for information. I do find it weird that like that Justin Fields is the only quarterback in this draft that is actually facing criticism. I saw a bill, uh, an advertisement about Trevor Lawrence, and it, it had a reference to like proving them wrong. It, what? Wait, I mean, come on. Every quarterback has been nothing but fond over except for Justin Fields. Trey Lance played one game last year. One. And he only completed 50% of his passes, half his passes against Central Arkansas. So I'm not implicating anything like that. I mean, Trey Lance is just people are fawning over. Zach Wilson was the most protected quarterback in college football and played BYU's garbage schedule. But oh my gosh, did you see him throw at his pro day? Oh my gosh. Max Jones, if Justin Fields has character issues, why does nobody talk about Mac Jones' DUI? I mean, it's silly. The whole quarterback draft thing is silly. And, and look no further than all of this stuff. But here we are. And maybe it's a recency bias, and obviously because it happened on the bigger stage, it's going to stick out more. But if there's anybody who helped themselves more at the end of last season more than Justin Fields, then I'm not sure what I was watching. Because that game against Clemson for Justin Fields, I thought he immediately became the number two quarterback in that draft. And everything that's happened since then, he's been the one that's been criticized. And I'm not really sure why. I mean, there might be some merit to it. Maybe there is. But um, if I'm Justin Fields, I'm actually happy today. I mean, what's the difference in the money between number two and number seven, you know? And considering what the Jets are going to do to Zach Wilson, I'm good not going to New York. I know it's a big market and stuff, but it's a quarterback graveyard up there. I'm good. I'll go to Denver or New England. Much rather that than the Jets. So it's worked out for him. It's not even like New York City's really even fun or open yet anyway, so you're not missing yeah, much. you're not missing much. I mean, the population's declining, too. I mean, it's not as big of a market as it used to be. But anyway, so we'll get to all of that coming up, but we'll start with baseball. Because, man, there are storylines. Good and bad. We'll get to all of that next at Sports Sunday. 601-879-4395 is the text line. This is Sports Sunday, even though... Our website says that it is, oh, it's a different show this week. What is it? It's not the Cajun Contractor. Who is it this week? It's somebody else. 
It's today's something homo- about a, yeah, homeowner with Danny Lip Lipford. Yeah, sorry if you guys were looking for Danny Lipford and the homeowner. That's that's not what this show is. Um, you throw out usually some some garden or not gardening tips, but you know taking care of the yard tips and yeah. stuff. So we could double as I'm going to be pressure washing today. Ooh, going going full on. I mean, I'm pumped about it too. That's one of those videos that people always share is like the oddly satisfying thing, like oh, when yeah. you pressure wash something that's been like really dirty and then it looks brand new. So you could do that. Yeah, see, there we go. So if you guys want pressure washing tips, I don't have any yet. I mean, I'll tell you when it's over. But, uh, yeah, sorry, Danny. Or if you guys were looking for Danny, you're not going to get him. You're not going to get him. I mean, it's um, it's been – how long have we been doing this show? It's been a while. Almost two years, I guess. Two full football seasons. Right. So two years calendar-wise will be August. Correct. Yeah, we started in August of 2019. Wow. If only we knew what was going to happen after that. Man. We picked the perfect time to start a a sports show on Sunday mornings. Yeah, we did. (laughs) So sorry if you were looking for today's homeowner. Uh, I am a homeowner if you got questions. It's an old home. It's older than me. It's got its issues, but uh, we're working at it one day at a time, and the value keeps going up. So we're doing okay. I've got tips for you. Um, Here's the first one. Because apparently my previous, the owner of the house that lived there previously did not know that you should at some point do something in the backyard. Like literally anything at all. So start there. Just do something back there. Um, it's been like a two-year project. I'm still not done. So anyway, all right, let's talk some baseball. Where do you want to go first? I think that usually we'd go with winners but state series isn't over yet so should we start with Ole Miss because their series is done even though it's more depressing to talk about what what uh where should we start I think the storylines come from the losers today so I think we start in Oxford okay we'll start with Ole Miss on Friday night they lost seven to two to LSU they gave up a five spot in the top of the ninth to really blow that game open it was a grand slam that did it for Ole Miss uh, Doug Nikhazy was, I mean, he was good. He was really good. You know, 11 strikeouts, just one earned run. Uh, bullpen couldn't really hold it together late. But really the story was uh, Ole Miss getting shut down by a guy that shouldn't shut them down. Nine complete. They gave up 10 hits and two earned runs. That was Labus, uh, who was fine. I mean, he's fine. But uh, Ole Miss has seen better. And then yesterday, Ole Miss was down 9-1. to one. Going into the bottom of the eighth inning, Ole Miss puts up an eighth spot in the eighth and scores that game-winning run on a walk-off home run. And they salvage Sunday. They win one game, and everybody yesterday was excited. I certainly understand that. I'm not going to uh, tell you that winning on a walk-off is not exciting. It was cool. Camp Alderman probably is going to be a great player. It's just a freshman right now, but he's got all the tools in the world to be a great player. Walk-offs are fun. It's cool to see. And it absolutely, like I said before, it can be a galvanizing moment. I was asked a couple times yesterday, does that win mean that you know, Ole Miss is going to turn it around and be okay? It's possible. It is possible that that is a galvanizing moment. That they look at that win and they loosen up a little bit and they start playing better because they have been close. A couple 
better played balls in center field in Gainesville, and you may win that series. I mean, against Arkansas, you scored 14 runs on Sunday and lost that series, but you were close against Mississippi State Friday and Sunday. You were close, changed one play or two in two of those games, and that series is different. And then this past weekend, at least Thursday night, you should have won that game. If you just play clean defense behind Derek Diamond, you win that game. So they're not far off, but the problem is they're still losing the games. It it, it depends on how you look at it. It, You can be an optimist, a pessimist, or a realist. And realistically, this team's not far off. They're talented. They can beat anybody. They can, but they haven't. Four series in a row now, their opponents are making the plays when it matters that they are not. Their opponents are playing clean defense when they are not. Their opponents are comfortable going to the bullpen, and their bullpen is executing, except for LSU yesterday, and you are not. So until... They prove it. Maybe South Carolina this weekend, it, you know, they take two and get back on track. Maybe that's what happens. But right now, it's not good. It, it feels like, and I've, I've talked to Ole Miss people over the last couple of days, and you could feel it and hear it in the crowd. They knew what was coming. Ole Miss fans knew what was coming on Friday night. You could feel it. It was dead. 12,000 people were quiet on Friday night. So the metrics even say that this team's okay, right? I mean, you look at their conference record and everything, like they're in line to host a regional. But your eyes tell you, right now, it could change. But right now, this team's not winning anything of value. And you can be close all you want, but if you're just close this many times in a row... That eventually becomes who you are and how people view you. And that's what Ole Miss is right now. And you mentioned they're still somehow in line to host a regional. And baseball rankings, I feel like, are tricky because there are three different ones out there that people look at. But they were 9 or 12, depending on where you look going into this series. So how far do they fall losing two out of three to LSU, in your opinion? They'll still be in line to host a regional. I mean, they're 10-8 and eight in the SEC right now. They finished the season at 500. That's a host. I mean, that, that, that's what's crazy is the, the metrics tell you one thing about this team and your eyes tell you something else. And then, so, South Carolina next weekend, and this year is a little different based on how they're, they're selecting these sites a little early. So if you yeah. lose that series next weekend to South Carolina – your hopes of hosting a regional if you're Ole Miss, I think, take an extra shot because you don't have more time to make that up. Well, maybe it's better that they're picking them now if they keep free-falling like this. A couple of your texts. Diamond and Nikhazy pitched great. Bats, five errors in bullpen doomed Ole Miss. Five errors in two games is terrible. Yeah, they, they should have won on Thursday night. Clean defense wins you that series, as it turns out. Right, two runs in the first inning resulted from three errors. Routine plays. Right, you take those off the board, and obviously you can't project out, but if you do, you just take those two runs off the board. That's a win. Derek Diamond in a a tough spot. I mean, getting the start two hours before the game, basically, finding out that he was going to start 
Gave you everything you could have possibly asked for, but you didn't play good, clean defense behind him. And that leads to a loss. You know, I I was um, pretty critical on Monday because my premise was I don't think Ole Miss has lost four series in a row because of talent. In fact, I know. I know they have not lost four series in a row because they are less talented than the four teams that have beaten them. So then why are they getting beat? And then it immediately turned into, because of course it does, well, fire him and who are you going to hire? That's not the conversation I'm talking about right now. All I'm saying is, why is Arkansas able to beat you in close games? Why is Mississippi State able to do it? Why was Florida able to do it? And now one of the worst LSU teams we've seen in, what, a decade plus? This is a bad LSU team. Yes, they have talent. They, They have talent. Paul Maneri has not forgotten how to coach baseball, and he has not recruited bad players. But right now, he has a bad team. And they came to Oxford confident, and they punched you in the mouth. And if not for some random heroics in the eighth inning and the third game of a series, you get swept at home. Why is that happening? Those are fair questions to ask. And it doesn't have to turn into... We'll fire him, and when you do, who are you going to hire? I don't want to hear that. Because talent's not the issue there right now. So then what is it? Because they should be better than four series losses in a row. The whole that's baseball thing didn't apply here. Not when it's a trend like this. They got to get right quick, or... Or you're going to lose people. Because that crowd that I heard over the weekend, they're one foot out the door. So they got to turn it around quick. They're capable of doing it, but they got to do it soon. Or else you're going to lose people. Sports Sunday, we'll be right back. You'll be a part of the conversation. You can do it on the text on 601-879-4395. We get one here that says, that's more logic regarding Bianco's 20-plus year tenure than Ole Miss than I have ever heard on the radio. So thanks for having the courage to say it. Well, it didn't take a whole lot of courage. It just took a willingness to be honest. You don't get a, whole, a lot of that around here. So I am not, like I said before, I'm not going to go down the fire him, don't fire him thing. I don't think that's a conversation worth having until the season's over because ultimately this team is only going to be judged by what they do in the postseason. At this point, that's all the fans really want to know. Because Ole Miss has been ranked in the top five, in the top ten before. And they have. Uh, If Mike Bianco stays another 20 years, they will be up there again. I mean, people are, I don't want to say tired of regular season success, but they're not impressed by it anymore. Because you've had it. It's, It's expected now. When you invest as much as they do in the baseball program, and when the fans are engaged, as engaged as they are on the baseball program, You expect to be good in the regular season. That's what you should be now. 20-plus years ago, before he took over, having a good regular season was not all that common. But it is now. The program right now should be a very good regular season team, always. With ebbs and flows, of course, but they should always be this good. So they're only going to get measured by what they do in the postseason. That's it. I had somebody ask me last night, is it time? Well, I don't know. What do they do in the postseason? If they go 0-2 in a regional? Got to start asking questions. 
But until they do that, it's not a conversation worth having. I will say, though, and I said this on on Monday, and it wasn't received very well by others, Ole Miss fans that are mad, that have a expectation for how the season is going to go and it's not pretty, Ole Miss fans that expect more trips to the College World Series, expect more Super Regional appearances, those people aren't crazy. It's not a, well, what was the program before conversation, because what is it today? What is it right now? It is a place that, thanks to Mike Bianco, is set up, or should be set up, to win at the highest level in college baseball. Yes, there are other places that have scholarship advantages because the NCAA is a joke. However, there is more investment, more attention, the ability to acquire talent that should be competitive at a national level. You shouldn't really judge, you know, Omaha or bust is not something that I like. In fact, I hate it. I don't want. Like I said a few weeks ago, the Clarion Ledger had a headline, is it Omaha or bust for Mississippi State? Well, no. No, it's not. You can't judge one team based on whether or not they went to Omaha, but you can look at it from the macro and see that one trip in 20-plus years for this program now is unacceptable. At least it shouldn't be. I don't care what, what it was like in 1992. What is it now? And if another team that reaches number one, for gosh sakes, but if another top team falters down the stretch and gets knocked out of a regional, if your only defense is, well, 22 years ago the program stunk, then you've lost. Then you've lost. It's a nuanced conversation, but I am not at all at all, going to talk down to the people that have expectations that are not being met. Because if if this is acceptable, what are we doing here? What are you, what are you doing here? Don't add on to the stadium anymore. What do you think Mississippi State put $70 million into the baseball stadium for? Why did they do that? Because they expect championships. Ironically, they haven't won one yet, at least on the national level, but they make it to Omaha. That's what they expect. And if it doesn't happen, things change. Well, and I think that's where a lot of the a lot of that mindset comes from of wanting change, you know, midway we're a little over midway through the season now, but wanting that kind of change is because if you're an Ole Miss fan out there, you're looking you know, 90 miles away and you're seeing the success that Mississippi State has had in recent years when you've been comparable in the regular season, even though then Mississippi State owns the rivalry between the two. I think you see that and you say, why isn't that, why isn't that us if you're an Ole Miss fan out there? So I think that's where a lot of that comes from. Jason asks, is Ole Miss really that talented? Yes, they are. They did lose to Melko. That's a big loss. But yes, they are more talented than this. Absolutely they are. And ultimately, the only judgment should be what happens at the end of the season. That's all. So I'm not going to do the fire him, don't fire him thing. I'm not even going to argue it. I'm not going to give a list of people who you should hire. That's very premature. 
But if it doesn't go well, uh, two things. I am not going to criticize an Ole Miss fan that is frustrated and mad right now. Because if you don't have expectations, what, what are you doing? And two, I'm not going to make that kind of determination until the season ends. Because I do think this team is capable of winning high-level games. Even after this weekend, I think they can still win a regional. I still think they can beat almost everybody in the country two games out of three on a given weekend. So I'd like to see them have the chance to do that first before I make any sweeping judgments about the coach and the future of the program. But I'm not going to criticize people for being frustrated with this. Because the production now does not match the investment now. That's the truth. Can they beat anyone you know, or any team across the country if they don't get at least seven innings from their starter? I mean, they can. It's a little bit more difficult. But I would put Hoagland and Nikhazy as a one-two punch up against basically everybody in the country. I mean, Vanderbilt's one-two punch is probably better. But Leiter got lit up again last night. He got lit up by Tennessee. Well, maybe there's something, maybe there's something brewing there in Nashville. But that one-two punch of Hogan and Nikhazy can beat anybody in the country. Anybody doesn't matter who they can beat anybody. So, we'll see. This team will be judged by how they produce in the postseason. But I, I could feel the energy on Friday, and that was. A bunch of Ole Miss fans that are expecting the worst. And maybe that's not the best approach as fans, honestly. I mean, nervous energy in a crowd can translate to results on the field. I mean, mean, crowds can help or hurt teams. They can. They really can. But there's a reason they're like that. And it's not for just because. Because they've seen this before. So this team's got to prove that this isn't going to be the case, or else you'll have Tennessee Tech all over again. And when and you talk about crowd size, compare the twelve thousand Friday night and what you could feel and what you could see on the screen. Compare that to the, we'll call it ten to eleven thousand in Starkville the week before. That kind of crowd with. 11,000 people was a much different energy. You can have the same amount of people, and the atmosphere can be vastly different, and that's what you saw on Friday. It's almost like they expect to lose now. Friday's crowd expected to lose. That's how they acted. They were right, but maybe that mentality's not great. Kyle says the regular season does matter. 12,000 show up to see a win. Do 12,000 show up to see a win this coming weekend? Or will it be more like 7 to 8? I don't know. It's tough right now. That that walk-off yesterday, it could be a galvanizing moment. It could just push them you know, in the right direction because they're, they're not far off. They've shot themselves in the foot often over the last four weeks. They're talented. They've got great starting pitching. They're right there. So we'll see what yesterday does, if it does anything at all, because it could either be the moment that everybody points to where that's when they turn the season around, that moment right there against LSU, or that could just be a bright spot and an otherwise really word that I can't say on the radio, uh, fall. 
from the number one spot? We'll find out. Pressure's on that team, though. Pressure, uh, pressure's on. And no midweek game this week, so no, no chance to kind of follow Saturday up with kind of another win to, to get yourself right before a big series this weekend. Big is uh, doesn't even really describe it. Kyle also asked if uh, State wins today, what happens in the rankings? We'll get to that series next. But I think it's simple. Arkansas will stay at one and State will be two. Just, I mean, Arkansas has the sweep over Mississippi State. That's that's what would keep it. But, yeah, they'd move up to number two. We'll talk about that next. 601-879-4395 is the text line. If you want to be a part of the conversation, would love to hear from you. But right now, we got to go. We'll be back shortly. Stick around. So Mississippi State ran into Kumar Rocker. <laughs> Man, is he incredible or what? You just keep waiting for him to falter, and he he just doesn't like against Georgia a little bit, and people thought the sky was falling, and then he comes back and does what he did on Friday night. I mean, he, he's a he, I guess he is a human after all, as Stephen mentioned that Georgia loss. But my gosh, man, it it, it was one of those nights on Friday night where it, you just I mean, McLeod wasn't great, but it's got to be different. When you're pitching against a guy like Rocker, you probably go into it thinking you have to be perfect, and you do. I mean, McLeod had to be perfect to give Mississippi State a chance on Friday night. He wasn't, and and that's what happens. But it's just one of those nights, man, where you just you tip your hat to an elite level arm. That I mean, when he's on like that, nobody's touching him. I mean, that, there's your in depth analysis of, of Friday night's game. Kumar Rocker is unbelievable, and when he's on like that, you're losing. I mean, that, that's it. You're losing. We could look at the nuances and, and stuff like that and who didn't get a quality hit when and stuff like that, and I'm sure that we would better serve our listeners if we did that about the game on Friday night at least. But really, what it comes down to is when Kumar Rocker's locked in like that, you have to be perfect. Mississippi State was not perfect, and that's what happens because that's Kumar Rocker on a Friday night in Nashville playing for Vanderbilt. He's perfect. Right. He's 9-1. and one. So that means there are nine other shows like ours the next morning that had yeah. to explain to their listeners why their team lost, and everybody had to get on there and just say, Kumar Rocker's better. Yeah, that, that's, it, it's just, that's the long and short of it. Sometimes sport. so, I mean, we spend, I spend hours and hours a week. Three hours on the weekday show, another... 30 minutes in the mornings, and then I also have to do a thrice-weekly podcast on the same subject matter. It is, I I mean, I I talk sports all day long, and a lot of people get into the complexities and break down these games, and that's what you should do because that's what the people want, but sometimes sports are just so simple. So simple. We did it during football season, remember? Remember? The, the simple case in a couple of minutes. I remember sitting here in this very chair on Sunday after a football Saturday, and here's the truth. Kentucky's defensive line, better than Mississippi State's offensive line. Kentucky wins. I, I mean, that's it. We can talk about other stuff if you'd like. You know, they, they had turnovers in the end zone and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, Kentucky was better 
on the defensive front, then Mississippi State on the offensive front, and that lost Mississippi State the game. That's it. Mike Leach and and his assistants, all 10 of them, probably watched hours of film about that game, but really, (laughs) that's all you needed to know. Same thing on Friday night. Kumar Rocker, just when he's like that, you're not beating him. That's just what it comes down to. So you tip your hat and you move on and you try to get to lighter the next day. And Mississippi State did that. So let's talk about the game that happened yesterday a little bit more. Mississippi State wins 7-4. to They had 10 hits on the night to get those seven runs. Uh, Bednar was good. Good enough, anyway. And he only gave you five innings, but that's the beauty of how Mississippi State is built right now. That's all he has to give you. Give us five, six innings, if you can. Give up a run or two, and our bullpen will shut it down. And... Um, Although that didn't exactly happen yesterday, but generally that's all you need. So Bednar was good enough, five complete, one earned run, struck out eight. He walked three, that's okay. But he gave you enough, and Mississippi State's offense jumped on Jack Leiter. Five complete for Leiter, four earned runs in those five complete for Mississippi State. The offense sat on fastball and jumped on his fastball, did not chase his high-level breaking pitch, and that offense just absolutely jumped on what people think is one of the best pitchers in college baseball. I have people trying to convince me that Leiter's better than Rocker, and maybe he will go higher in the draft. Maybe he projects at the next level better. But if I need to get a win in an SEC game, it's Rocker instead of Leiter. But, you know, tomato, tomato. Mississippi State's offense last night was so incredibly impressive against one of the best arms in the country and because of that, they had a nice cushion. So Preston Johnson gave up a couple runs. Landon, Landon Sims was even human there for a little while. Got out of it, and then he slammed the door because that's that's what he does. Two and two-thirds and struck out six because that's that's what he does. And it was machine-like. After he struggled a bit right when he came in, the next batters that he faced everything was just so quick and he was just right back up on the mound he did his little circle after he struck guys out but he was just so methodical the way he went about it after that it's so impressive to watch week in and week out I love how fast he works that, that's what I love so much about him is obviously I mean he, he can shove 96 with movement down these guys throats and his breaking pitch he can throw for strikes anywhere in the zone but it's the speed I mean when when you're facing Landon Sims and I mean, you don't have time to think. It just happens so fast. I mean, I imagine these guys get up to the plate and they see three pitches and they turn around. They're like, wait, what the heck just happened? I'm out? Oh, okay. I'll go back to the dugout. He's just fast. It's just, it's so impressive. So impressive. So more on this coming up. Also, spring game thoughts and draft coming up in the second hour. It's Sports Sunday. little energy this Sunday morning. We'll be right back. Off running hour number two, Sports Sunday, Super Talk, Mississippi. Michael Borky and Stephen Gagliano with you. Danny Lipford is still on the air somewhere. But no, you've got Sports Sunday right here on Super Talk. Michael Borky and Stephen Gagliano with you. You want to be a part of the conversation? You can. 601-879-4395. That's the text line. 601-879-4395. If you missed any of the first hour talked about Ole Miss's series loss to LSU and whether or not there was a galvanizing moment yesterday or was it just a blip on the radar? How will this team be judged? Fans, if you are mad about the current 
state of your team, you're not crazy. You're not crazy at all. You should be. Because expectations are what... Anyway, I'm not going to knock you guys for having expectations. If you missed any of that, plus we got into the Mississippi State Vanderbilt series, we'll do a little more of that as well as we move along in the second hour. Uh, You can catch all that in the podcast. It'll be uploaded here uh, very shortly after the show. But hey, always glad that you guys are with me. Cody and Tupelo says, noticed a lot of trash talking between the two teams yesterday. Seems like a mini rivalry is being developed. I can buy that, especially since they've played high-pressure series in the postseason. But I've also kind of noticed that that's becoming more common in college baseball. Generally, there's a little more, a little more spice to it, I think. And purists will say that that's bad, and, and they don't like that, and teams should be respectful. Arkansas fans will tell you that their team never does anything like that, even though they bat-flipped a handful of times in their series win over South Carolina. That's weird. I mean, why would somebody that respects the game so much... I mean disrespectful bat flips from Arkansas. They were awesome, but hey, they don't do that because they love the game so much. I'm starting to notice that. That it wasn't just Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. That I mean, I, I watch a decent bit of college baseball outside of the teams in this state. and I, I think it's becoming more common. There's more intensity. There, there's more... I like it, honestly. When a pitcher in a big spot you know, strikes out the side or whatever, I want him to turn to his dugout and fist pump and get into it because, man, you just did something awesome. Fire your team up. Give me some energy. I like that. There was a case like that in Major League Baseball yesterday. Fernando Tatis homered twice off of Trevor Bauer in a series between the Dodgers and the Padres. And if you remember back in spring training, which most people probably don't because I don't think anyone else paid attention, but Trevor Bauer... The players didn't even pay attention. <laughs> Trevor Bauer said that he struck out Fernando Tatis while he had one eye closed. And he kind of showed that he had one eye closed as he was walking off the field. Last night, after Fernando Tatis hit a home run, as he was rounding the base, he covered up one eye. And it was really cool. It was a, a fun, energizing moment. And then after the game, somebody asked Trevor Bauer about it. And he basically said, he's like, I like it. He said, if pitchers are going to do this, then hitters should have the chance to do that too. And it's like what we talked about a few weeks ago with the Southern Miss situation. With when we played that audio from uh, I can't remember who they were playing at the time, but Louisiana Lafayette. That's right. Oh no, you're gonna you're gonna go slowly around the bases. Oh yeah, that guy. Right, and we talked about why that is such a fun moment for baseball, and it gets people talking about it. So I, I like this kind of chippiness going back and forth between teams, especially when it's two high-level teams like Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. Yeah. You guys know that I am not a a purist by any stretch of the imagination. I think baseball needs to modernize itself some. I think they need to use the technology afforded to them to make balls and strikes more consistent. My gosh, we saw some bad umpiring this weekend. I'm aware that it's a difficult job. But we should take advantage of the technology we have. But anyway, um, I like bat flips. I think they're fun. I like touchdown celebrations. I think they're awesome. I think when Steph Curry makes a dozen threes a night, when he does that little three-point thing and puts it over his eyes, I think that's awesome. You're playing a game. 
It's sports. They're supposed to be fun. They're supposed to have energy. I like that. that. That's me. But even if you're a purist and you hate it or whatever, I think you are seeing a trend shift in the direction of more theatrics. Bat flipping, little John, celebrations in the field when you strike a guy out, that kind of stuff is becoming more and more common. And I do think that that is good for the long-term health of baseball. We've talked about this before, uh, so I won't spend too much time on this, but I, I've pointed out to you guys that baseball, their viewing audience trends much older. And popularity among young people is not good compared to the other sports in baseball. It's not good. But young people like, like stuff like this. They like the bat flips. They think it's cool. They like little John. They think it's cool. That will bring a... Maybe it's negligible, but I do think that that kind of stuff is more uh, attractive to younger people. And younger people turn into older people who breed younger people and make the long-term health of your game stronger than it would be otherwise. That's just me. I don't think you should throw at guys for flipping their bat. I think you should strike him out next time. That's just me. But I do see that. I noticed it last night with Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. There was a little little extra juice there. It wasn't just a top five series. It was a little something. And I like it. We even had a little juice in the Mississippi State two-lane series. And, and a lot of people around here pointed to Tulane as acting not classy. No, no, those were two teams that were engaged. And guess what? That series was fun. Last night? And it's one that you remember. Yep. Too. It, when At the end of the season, when you're going to look back at some of the highlights and the things that stick out from the season, you will remember that series. And people will remember those kind of moments in baseball. In a game where not, there's not always something happening. You need these kind of memorable moments. Mandan Pike County says 100 years ago there was no political correctness. The poem Casey at the Bat, for instance, full of showboating. Fun ribbing is fine. Yeah, I agree. Have some fun. And that's a great point, Stephen. I mean, how many, how many non-conference series do you remember? Very few. I'll never forget the two-lane pitcher getting checked by the umpire because he was doing this weird thing with his glove. Like, I think he was doing it on purpose. I swear he was. He was. I swear he was pretending like he had something in his glove on purpose because the umps checked him and there was nothing there. And he was obviously, like, doing this right here, you know, like rubbing his, the palm of his hand. I mean, I swear he was doing it on purpose. And then after, when the umpire was done, he gave a little, gave a like, thumbs, thumbs up. up yeah. Mississippi State's dugout. Then he strikes out the side, and then State wins in walk-offs. Man, that was so much fun. And last night, the little extra juice made it that much more fun to me. I know the purist is just rolling over right now. They just hate this conversation, but I'm not 30 yet. I'll, I'll be there in 11 months, but I'm not 30 yet. That kind of stuff appeals to people like me in my group. So good. And the more that you can put these games on regular TV, the better. And 
the expanded coverage, and I felt it this season more than really any in years past. And and I know there is always going to be the streaming aspect, and that's probably going to take over regular TV at some point. But the more that you can put these games out there, especially when you have a top five series like you do with Mississippi State and Vanderbilt, you need to get these guys on TV. You need to get these games on TV and in front of more people. And I, I think that's the best thing for baseball. Eventually, it's the best thing for Major League Baseball when these guys get there. And you need to figure out a way to keep their names relevant in the time, you know, from when they get drafted to the time they get to the show. But I, I just the overall exposure of the game has yeah. to keep increasing. Tyler tweets at me and says, Bat flips greater than anyone's feelings, period. Let them have fun. Logan Tanner was probably a little overboard, but I love it. Yeah. Man, you hit a bomb in Nashville in a top five series? I'm cool with it. I'm, uh, I'm cool with it. But as far as the series itself goes, I mean, Mississippi State's in a great place. We said at the beginning of the show, I'll say it again. Even if they lose today, you come home this weekend thinking you did what you needed to do. You don't celebrate losing a series. I mean, you don't hold a parade uh, at the district in Starkville. Don't I mean, don't do that. And nobody will. But if you lose today, you feel okay. You just had to go up there and get one, and you did that, and today is a free shot. Probably a really confident team right now in Starkville as well. I feel like those guys believe in themselves just a little bit. But hey, yeah, what do I know? Good stuff. Really good stuff. 601-879-4395 is the text line. Jason, I'll get to your text. Then we'll turn the page to spring football because why not? And Sports Sunday. Sports Sunday on Super Talk. Hey, Stephen, will you uh, cover? There's a, a, saw a small emergency at the house. Nothing crazy, but will you just talk for a few minutes? Yeah, sure thing. <laughs> so, welcome back to Sports Sunday. I'm Stephen Gagliano. He is Michael Borky. Just got done wrapping up the Mississippi State Vanderbilt series, and I'll go back to something that we we kind of finished up with there before the last segment ended. And we we mentioned how good Kumar Rocker was on Friday night, and how good Landon Sims was yesterday to close. Okay, all right. <laughs> Sorry, that's all Sorry. right. We um uh we thought that one of the dogs ate some Excedrin. Which would have meant I would have had to leave here and we would have had to take her to an emergency vet to get her to throw it up. So, we're okay. (laughs) Did she she not eat it? She did not eat it, but there was a a period of time (laughs) there where we thought, live radio, ladies and gentlemen, that's uh, (laughs) that's what happens here. Nothing like it. So, you were saying. What I was going to say is, you know, mentioning Kumar Rocker and guys like Landon Sims that we see coming up through the pipeline here and having that exposure... I want Major League Baseball to make a concerted effort to promote these guys on their way up. And the perfect example right now, I think, would be Casey Mize from Auburn. If you think back to how good he was, yeah, and then his name popped up. He pitched for the Tigers recently, and I think he pitched pretty well. But by now, most people, unless you're an Auburn baseball fan, you forgot about him. I don't want that to happen to Jack Leiter. I don't want that to happen to Kumar Rocker. And when it comes time, I don't want that to happen to Landon Sims. So I think there needs to be some kind of partnership or effort between Major League Baseball and college baseball to keep these guys 
in the limelight and keep them in people's heads. So that way, when they get to the bigs, they have somebody to market and they can say, remember how good he was when you saw him in college? Because what are we talking about later on in the hour? The NFL draft. And that's, remember how good Trevor Lawrence was at Clemson? How good Justin Fields was at Ohio State? And now you can't wait to watch them on the big stage. And baseball desperately needs that. For sure. Because guys like Shohei Otani, they're great for baseball. I didn't know who he was until he got over here. So a guy like Kumar Rocker that people have followed now for years, you have a chance to follow him and kind of stay with him on his journey to Mm -hmm. the major leagues. Yeah. Shohei Otani's a good example, too, because so this sounds bad, or at least some people can take this the wrong way, uh, deal with it, because it's just the truth. Uh, Shohei Otani, I think, is the most compelling baseball player we've had in my lifetime. I mean, a guy that does everything that he does is so unique in the sport. I mean, he's a, a good outfielder, he hits home runs, hits for average, too. I mean, he's a career 275 guy. He was. Like 190 last year. He's still a career 275 guy. He's in the 300s this year. He's a starting pitcher that throws 100 miles an hour. I mean, that is such a unique athlete. What stinks for baseball is he's not American. That sounds, some people will take that wrong, but it's just the truth. He's not American. It's hard to get people engaged with someone that doesn't speak their language. It's, It's just different. And he's great for baseball, um, but that does make it a little, a little different when he's not one of our own. You know what I mean? It, it is a little bit different. He's remarkable. I watch him every time he's on TV, though. Hey, he's just awesome. Which unfortunately also isn't a lot either because they play on the West Coast. So th- there are so many things that that baseball needs to do differently in marketing their stars, and I think this would be a really good start. Yeah. The accessibility of, I think it'll change soon, but right now, Major League Baseball and the NBA too, I know a lot of you guys don't really give a crap about the NBA, but they're facing the same problem, accessibility. Unless you have one cable provider, or one provider, you can't watch the Atlanta Braves. If you have Hulu, if you have YouTube TV, you can't watch the Braves. They're not accessible NBA teams are not accessible unless they're on national television, which isn't that often. My gosh, the Pelicans are like fourth in the NBA in national TV games, and it's 16 out of 72. So if you don't live in the market, you can't watch them. And even if you live in the market, you probably still can't watch them. There should be a way to pay to watch your individual team. And they've got like, in the NBA they have league pass, but if you're, you can't, in Jackson, Mississippi, watch New Orleans on League Pass because you're in the market. See, that doesn't make any sense. It's 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 pathetic. Right. And baseball's the same way with their blackout rules and stuff like that. You can't watch the Braves. Right. And it's insane. If I lived in New York, let's say, and I still wanted to watch the Braves, but I don't want to pay to watch every single Major League Baseball game because I don't care about the White Sox or the Cardinals or yeah. whatever. I should be able to pay into the baseball package just to watch the Braves. Yeah. And they would expand the number of people that are watching at least their individual teams. And by way of that, I think you get more overall fans. So It's so simple. Just make an app. 
Bally Sports owns like Bally Sports owns the Atlanta Braves broadcasting rights, which I still don't really get what that is. <laughs> it's a, a sports book, like a casino property, right? Isn't that what Bally is? I just missed. They bought the naming rights from yeah, Sinclair. From Fox. Yeah. I just missed saying Fox Sports. That was a know, lot right? easier. But <laughs> uh, make an app. You're already broadcasting the games. Have a website, make an app. It's not that hard. Trust me, we are an independently owned radio company. We have an app and a video stream that looks good and has the capability that a company worth hundreds of millions of dollars should have. Make an app. Smart TV, iPhone, iPad, and let teams pay $5 a month or whatever you need to do uh, and have somebody watch your team from anywhere. Do you want people to watch or not? Because... Getting advertisers is great, but you have to have an audience for that to be worth it. And shutting out all these streaming services because of carriage disputes? Okay, well, guess what? They're not going to watch now. So how much is your broadcast actually worth when nobody can watch it? Uh, The commissioners need to step in and do something about this? Because guess what? I mean, even the NFL's kind of got this issue. But... If you want people to watch your product, you've got to make it accessible. And the NBA and Major League Baseball fail miserably at making them as as accessible as possible. And it's so easy. And for the NFL right now, they kept the exclusive right for DirecTV to have Sunday ticket, didn't they? Yeah, that'll change because DirecTV's lost another 6 million subscribers in the last year. So... That'll change. That that's the one big thing that the NFL needs to change. They don't do many things wrong as far as accessibility, and they're the most marketed league ever. Yeah. But that's the one thing that quickly needs to change. Yeah. At least you, if you're in the market, you can watch them. <laughs> At least you got that. All right, Hank and Oxford back on the, the local teams. He said the lackadaisical play. This is Hank. In uh, body language, from Ole Miss has the look of a team suffering from what Lane Kiffin referred to it as rat poison. After being highly ranked early on, sweeping a weak Auburn and Alabama team, then losing series against quality SEC teams has taken a mental toll on them, as they may believe they're not as good as they thought they were. Player leadership seems to be lacking as evident of the first play of yesterday's game when an Ole Miss defender made a lackadaisical effort at best to field a ground ball. That particular play required a team leader to get dirty by at least making an effort to knock the ball down, but that didn't happen, which set a very bad tone for the game and team. I have noticed a couple of random spots where effort seems to be an issue. Last weekend against Mississippi State, an Ole Miss player chose to not run out hard a double play ball, and he would have beaten the throw had he actually tried to get down the line. This was a player that would have gotten down the line much faster had he tried. He's one of the fastest players on the team. Talking about McCants. Could have beaten out a double play, chose not to. There's little things like that with this team. The energy's down. The approach, approaches at the plate right now are off. Um, I think the crowd didn't help much over the weekend because you could feel a, a nervous, negative energy there. But there's a lot of things wrong with this team. Some of it is they don't have bullpen arms that are effective. So that's just something that's wrong with the team itself. But a lot of things are mental, like you said. There's mental problems with this team because... The way they play defense and the mistakes they make playing defense is not so much that they like have an inability to field ground balls. It's, there were times on Friday where they didn't know how to execute fielding a bunt. 
They just did. They they didn't know. They stepped all over their own feet. That's all mental. Routine ground balls, booting them for a team that talented, that's mental. They're not in a good place right now. Maybe yesterday changed that. But they don't look like a team that's really engaged. Maybe there is a lack of leadership there as far as players themselves. We'll see. Not in a good place right now, though. JP, we'll get to your text, and then spring game next. I promise we'll get there at Sports Sunday. All right, spring game part two. After we gave some opinions about Mississippi State spring game last weekend, with the caveat, the major caveat being it's the only practice that we got to see, and it is April. So make sure that everything that follows this statement is understood with the caveat attached to it. This is a spring game in the rain, by the way, where most of the roster seemingly was sitting the bench. I mean, Ole Miss did not play, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, a single running back that will get meaningful carries this season. Correct. Ely was with the baseball team. Snoop Connor was out. He was behind the teams like the entire day. He had his jersey. I don't know if he was coaching or if he was taking mental reps or whatever, but he was just standing there all game long. So, yeah, no running backs. Maybe getting some mental reps, but, I mean, no reason to get those guys hurt. You did have some starters play, but not all that many. (laughs) So, uh, there's a few things we can take away from it, though. But, again, the caveat is it was a practice in the rain with not many of the key players playing against each other the only time we've gotten to see it all year. So, with that being said, Let's talk some spring game first. And the most glaring and obvious observation is Matt Corral still looks like he is capable of being an elite-level quarterback, doesn't he? I think so. First throw of the game is a (laughs) 60-yard bomb to Braylon Sanders on the money. I mean, that deep ball is just so pretty. Yeah, they didn't wait long to pull that one out. Just to, I think they knew that. They they know that they've got a very limited time for most casual fans that they're going to sit there and watch the spring game. So they say, all right, let's give them their money's worth on the first yep. play just in case they tune out. And that that's the thing. Braylon Sanders is the one that caught this long pass we're talking about to start the game. Um, if he can stay healthy, I've told you guys before that the who's going to replace Elijah Moore thing, I, I don't like that question because it implies that there is somebody that can be as good as Elijah Moore in the same way, and I think that's impossible. I mean, there, there's even been some people that, that cover the team that have said, oh, this player is as dynamic as Elijah Moore or something. No, no, that's that's not the case. Elijah Moore is about to go in the first round. He broke A.J. Brown's records at Ole Miss. He's a 4-3 guy at five foot nine. Ole Miss doesn't have that on this roster right now, and that's okay. If Braylon Sanders stays healthy, he can be an impact player in the SEC that can produce in a similar way to Elijah Moore. Is he Elijah Moore? No. Does he have to be? Also no. But if he stays healthy, there is an impact wide receiver on that team that can produce at a really high level if he stays healthy. And you saw him do it last year. It's not yeah. like we're just picking a name, oh, this guy's flashed in spring Yeah, not practice. from the spring game. I mean, right. he could have not played yesterday. I'd still have the same thought. But seeing him healthy yesterday affirmed that line of thinking. Exactly. And when Elijah Moore opted out, and it's still incredible to me that Elijah Moore broke those records and didn't even play. In eight games. Yeah, the last <laughs> three games of the season. Uh, but you saw it last season, and I think that's going to carry over 
into this season with a, a receiving core that's very unproven around him. I think you need a guy like Braylon Sanders, who has been around the program for a few years now, that's going to step in to be probably Corral's primary target. Yeah, they need they need Mingo to be better. Um, there's talk about a transfer tight end coming in uh, to start the fall. We'll see if that comes to fruition. That would help a lot after uh, Yeboa is off to the NFL. But they they need receivers to step up and, and be reliable. And it starts with him. It absolutely starts with him. Uh, as you mentioned in the notes, Stephen, and you're exactly right, uh, defensive backs looked the part. Uh, DeAndre Prince, who had a weird path back to Ole Miss, it's technically a walk-on, I believe. Yeah, that's how they framed it. And on the broadcast, they said a you know a JUCO transfer walk-on, but they failed to mention that he had already been at Ole Miss before. Yeah, they didn't really look at that bio long enough, I imagine, because uh, that's not really how that happened. It was more of a went to Ole Miss, um, had to leave Ole Miss because, um, as I understand, I could be dead wrong, but ah, never mind. It's not worth it. But had to leave Ole Miss, not. Not because he was breaking the law or anything, but had to leave school and go to junior college and then got to go back to that same school. Uh, hopefully for Ole Miss, we'll get it right this time. And uh, looks like a quality player, though. I mean, saving a scholarship on a guy like that that can probably start in your secondary is pretty good. Uh, that can certainly help. Uh, MJ Daniels was good as a freshman in his first action that you've actually seen him play. That stood out, I think. Yeah, it's a spring game, I think. I think an, that stood out. Had an interception, and, and a guy like that, it's one that'll get the fan base excited. His recruitment around here, obviously, was, was a big one and one that was closely watched. So I think for him to make an impact play during the spring game, albeit, will get a lot of Ole Miss fans excited. And yeah, just seeing that defensive backfield be in the right place, I yeah. think, should get Ole Miss fans excited. They're more talented back there now. Uh, I would love, I, you didn't get to see much of it, but uh, Miles Battle's progression is something that I'm really interested in. Um, didn't really get to see much uh, or, or anything from Jacob Springer, the Navy transfer. But he could be a starter in that back seven, if you will. That he, was a bright played, spot. What linebacker at Navy? He won't play. Yeah, linebacker it's not middle in the linebacker. SEC. It's uh, it's, okay. it's more of like an outside, like strong safety type position. If I understand it correctly, uh, I could be off, but I think that's how that's going to work. Um, so that that was a bright spot as well. Uh, the defensive secondary looked much more capable and competent than they did a year ago. I uh, saw some flashes from uh, the defensive line. Uh, Jamon Gordon uh, had a couple of spots where you liked what you saw there. And he's one of those Juco guys that, that we've talked about in the past needing to make kind of an instant impact on that defensive line. A group last year that literally every play, if that's the sole position that you focused on, was just getting blown off the ball nine times out of ten. That was a real problem for that team last year. But uh, maybe they'll uh, look a little bit uh, better in that regard. Demon Clowney has put on some weight. Struggling here. It's a spring game. I'm trying. Well, and but that's the thing with with this Ole Miss team. These are going to be names that you haven't necessarily heard unless you are 
really in you know tapped into the program and you're getting practice reports every single day. Yeah, and that's what it a used spring to be game. that way. Yeah, and they were getting names wrong yesterday because guys didn't have numbers on the back of their jerseys. There were multiple number 87s. They credited a tight end with a couple catches that wasn't even dressed. He's a four-star tight end prospect that should be good, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But I think that's the exciting thing if you're an Ole Miss fan, especially on the defensive side of the ball, is these are going to be new names. And so you might not know them right now, but as we move into the summer – in the fall, you're going to hear these names more and more. And the hope, again, if you're the Ole Miss program and if you're a fan out there, is that the defense looks a lot different and that there will be new pieces mixed in. It needs to. And then other thing that I noticed, it's not really fair because poor Kincaid Dent, uh, he was... Uh, let me put it nicely. Kincaid Dent had to work with a bunch of guys that will not see significant action this year in meaningful games. Um, but I do think that Altmeyer looks more dynamic than Dent. So if you're talking about quarterback two, it helped that he had better players around him, and Kiffin mentioned that after the spring game was, well, it's, it's easier for Altmeyer to look better when he had better players around him, but he looks more dynamic. Dent certainly is not um, not serviceable. I mean, he's... He looks like he's capable and, and competent and, and can do some good things, but I, I do see why Altmeyer was a highly sought-after recruit. Uh, he looks like he's pretty dynamic, especially in his first real action uh, in at the college level. He's got some dynamic in his arm and his ability already as a young quarterback. Made a really nice throw on like a kind of a corner route that was dropped. It was his best throw of the day, and there is when he kind of flashed that arm talent that everyone has been talking about and that I actually, you know, got to see a lot of with him playing at Starkville doing the the Friday night show during the high school football season. We mentioned him every single week for a reason because he is really that talented. And then health. I mean, that, that was the biggest takeaway from Mississippi State spring game was that there was almost a significant injury that was not Lane Kiffin said after the spring game that they're healthy. That that was the most important thing for him. Aside from getting the work in, but they got out of the spring and the spring game and everything complete. Now, you know, Jerry Neely didn't play because he's recovering from surgery that happened at the end of football season, but they expect him to be back, uh, of course. They held out a bunch of guys that were banged up in one way or another, but nobody, knock on wood if you're an Ole Miss fan, uh, with a significant injury in the spring. And uh, that's always really important uh, because, you know, not everybody's going to be lucky like Jaden Wally, and it's just going to be a few weeks of recovery, and he'll be good to go. That could have been much worse. It wasn't, which is uh, obviously a good thing. But no injuries for Ole Miss. And they looked like they had fun yesterday. I mean, Lane Kiffin runs a fun operation, man. It's so different than even the, the two previous head coaches at Ole Miss. They look loose and like they understand that, hey, you know, this is serious. It's college football, but it's a game. Let's have fun. It's April. Uh, we, we don't need to be on each other's rear end for three hours. Let's loosen it up and have a good time. And they did that. We need more of that in sports. One more time with you at Sports Sunday. We'll be right back. NFL Draft starts on Thursday. Although the first two picks... 
Well, the first three picks, at least internally, have been decided, like we mentioned before. But you know, because the NFL, the NFL does a great job at one thing in particular, always being in the news and marketing. They know how to market themselves. They give March to the NCAA tournament. Not much going on in the NFL in March. But every other month, they own it. So we'll have the draft on Thursday. So they'll get this news cycle. And then a couple weeks later, they have OTAs. And then... Even though no one's showing up this year, apparently. Apparently. Which I don't get, but that'll still be a storyline to your point. Of course. Every month they have something. Preseason games start in August. Season starts in September. It goes until January. The Super Bowl in February. They give March to the NCAA tournament. April belongs to the draft. You get free agency. You get OTAs. You get mini camp. You get training camp. I mean, every month there's a story. There's something. And even down to the micro, like the NFL draft, They've got 15 minutes, the Jags do, to have all of those pundits talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars. And guess what? They're going to take every second of that, even though everybody knows Trevor Lawrence is going number one. Zach Wilson's going number two. The Jets are going to do him no favors. He'll start right away in the NFL, and it's going to be a disaster. He has never in his life seen pressure like he's going to get in the NFL because, I mean, credit to BYU, they protected him better than any quarterback in college football last year. He's had one season with a weak schedule and a great offensive line, and then he's going to go play for the Jets, who are bad at basically everything, right away. They're going to do him a disservice, but he's going number two. Who's going three? I think Mac Jones is going three, but I don't think he should. If I was the 49ers, I would take Justin Fields, but that's just me, especially if their plan is to actually keep Jimmy Garoppolo. Because if you're going to keep Jimmy Garoppolo and let whoever you draft sit for a little while, then I think Justin Fields has a higher ceiling than Mac Jones does. So give him that chance to learn and get up to speed in the NFL and then make him your starting quarterback. But I think they'll take Mac Jones. Kind of feels like that's what they're going to do, right? I don't know. I think they're getting fooled. Mortgaging your future. I mean, how many picks did they give up to to get this? It was three first rounders, right? Right. Three, including like the swap. So essentially two first rounders. Right. And moving back this year. Or or moving up this year, excuse me. Yeah, I I think they're just getting, I don't want to say fooled because I do think Mac Jones has talent and will be good in the NFL, but I think they're just looking at someone who they want to, or they think can step in right away. And that's, I guess, in case they can move off of Garoppolo, if somebody gives them maybe a high second-round pick or something like that. But I would go with Justin Fields. But like I said earlier, maybe that's a recency bias, but I watched him carve up Clemson you know, with cracked ribs probably and you know, throw for six touchdowns or five touchdowns, whatever it was. Yeah. What do the Falcons do it for? I would go quarterback if I was them. I, I, I've you seen, think so? See, I think they should trade back. I think they'll draft Kyle Pitts. Ooh, that'd be a good pick, though. Yeah, I, it definitely would be. I, I just I don't think Matt Ryan has it anymore for the Falcons. I don't think he can get them to a place where they'll be in a chance to get to a Super Bowl. But 
If the Falcons think that he can still, then I think giving him a weapon like Kyle Pitts would be a great idea. Yeah, I mean, he's 35, right, and threw for 4,600 yards last year. So there's still some gas in the tank. Yes, but when you you watched him play the Saints, it, does it look like he's at that part of his career where he can do that consistently and where he's not doing that from a place where the Falcons are trying to come from behind all the time so he's winging it around the yard? Probably not. Yeah. That's, that's my thought process with the Falcons. And it's a shame, too, because, I mean, Matt Ryan is – you know the best quarterback that that franchise has ever had. Yeah. He's a great guy, but at some point, if not you have for to... coaching malpractice, he wins a Super Bowl. Exactly, but at some point, you have to start looking ahead. And again, just like Justin Fields, if you want to draft a guy like Trey Lance, then maybe now's the time to do it and let Matt Ryan play this year, and then throw Trey Lance in next year. Oh, Trey Lance! I'd be worried about that pick. I'd be really worried about that pick. It just. It's worked out for others. Just the production's just not there. I mean, are you sure that it's going to translate? I am not. <laughs> and that's why I'm not Mel Kuyper. Take everything that I said with a grain of salt. Elijah Moore going the first? Yes. I think so, too. Seems I think like there's a run on wide receivers at the end of the first round. We will see. We'll find out on Thursday. Back with you next week, of course. Thank you guys so much for making the show a part of your day. And we'll talk to you next Sunday. Y'all have a good one. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.